The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, welcome everybody. This is uh, the Tom Sumner program, and uh, it's Wednesday, which means it's uh, time for Armchair Politics. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. And uh, joining me for today's edition of the uh, segment we call Armchair Politics, um, I'm, I'm still actually trying to connect with uh, Paul Rosicki. We'll see if we get uh, get him connected. I messed up the transfer, and, and we don't have him yet. Uh, but uh, on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter joins me by phone. Good morning, Henry. Good morning. Can you, can you hear me, Tom? Oh, I guess I can. Um, yeah, okay. No, I'm, I'm here. Oh, okay. Did you hear me? Can you hear me, Tom? I can hear you, Henry, <laughs> and so um, welcome to live radio, folks. On the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Welcome. Good morning. And on the uh, on the right, of course, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. And joining the roundtable is uh, former high-ranking government official in two presidential administrations, Mark Everson. Good morning, Mark. Welcome. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Welcome, welcome to the chaos. But uh, actually, I think we're all set now. We can uh, get rolling. We usually start out with a few quotes. The first one, of course, is where I ask you, how, how would you finish this quote? And it goes like this. Healthy citizens are what? Hmm. How would you finish this quote? Well-informed? I don't know. I'm not sure. Healthy citizens are... 
Well, this healthy is, voters. I don't this, know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this is um, the original quote. It goes like this: "Healthy citizens are the greatest asset any country can have." Ah, Churchill. It was very good, oh. Henry. It was Winston Churchill who said that. Um, now, one of the quotes this week that that got my attention. Um, it goes like this, even in Hitler's Germany, you could cross the Alps into Switzerland. You could hide in an attic like Anne Frank did. Oh, that's Bobby Kennedy Jr. You're right. Robert yeah. Kennedy Jr. Oh. at a rally against vaccine mandates in Washington, D.C. on Sunday. He likened vaccine policies in the U.S. to the actions of a totalitarian state, even suggesting Anne Frank was in a better situation when she was hiding from the Nazis. Is it fair, even in spirited rhetoric, to compare public health orders and mandates to totalitarian edicts and regimes? That seems so far over the... No. (laughs) Even though... even though at times it could appear to be the case, I but, saw a story that even, that even Bobby Kennedy's wife, even Bobby Kennedy's wife, denounced that statement. Yeah, <laughs> Bobby no, Kennedy Bobby Jr.'s Ken- wife uh, denounced Kennedy that statement. Said, yeah, Bobby Kennedy said plenty of stuff that was over the top, but he's rolling over in his grave. It's sad. Oh, I think you're right, yeah. Mark. Yeah, yeah. I, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I was a little bit surprised. I, I think a lot of people, especially on the left, were surprised when uh, RFK Jr. took such a strong stance against uh, public health uh, vaccine mandates and, and so on. Um, but well, it I, is his right, anti- though. It is his right. He has a right to free speech and a perspective that has not been on the table. But I, I know he's been an anti-vaxxer for some time, but he seemed like he's just gone over the top lately with some of this stuff. And, and well, it really is an embarrassment to the family, it seems like. And, it, yeah. and Frank, it's one of the uh, one of the most recognizable yeah. symbols of, of evil. Uh, I've actually visited that location. It's a tiny little spot the, where they were. It's just it's just atrocious to it. it you know, it it verges it, it on being a Holocaust denier. It's just horrible. Yeah, yeah, I, I've seen the same spot, Mark, as, as well. And you're right; it's a small little, small little apartment. Not even an apartment, really. Yeah. Right. I've seen it on TV. <laughs> well, I just thought it was uh, it. It got my attention because you know, RFK Jr. comes from uh, a big family of some pretty good orators, and and I I, I just thought it it was. Um, not really up to the uh, up to the standards. Yeah, but yeah. but then, then guys, you got to understand that we're looking at another generation, and people of the same generation don't think alike. There are other things. Well, you know, I got. I, I was talking with uh, Mike pa- uh, Mike Papantonio yesterday, and he's uh, he has co-hosted some radio shows and podcasts and stuff with. Uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr., and he said, uh, and he was very, he didn't agree with him, but he was very defensive, as as Henry just was, about his his right to have that anti-vax opinion. Um, 
But when I pressed him on the, uh, you know, the Nazi Germany references, um, he walked that back pretty quick and said, "Yeah, he was he was over the top with yeah, that." Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he may have yeah. been over the top there, but still, people think differently after years. The next generation will be like we are. They're denounced every, nearly everything that we do and say. Well, here's here's another one that that came up this week. Um, and got my attention. I don't know many members of Congress who haven't received a death threat. Mm. I don't know if, not, you'll, if you'll guess who it was. I certainly wouldn't have. It was uh, Representative Donald Norcross, a Democrat from New Jersey. Um, roll Call asked every member of Congress whether they had received a death threat since 2020. Of the 147 who responded, 110, or about 75%, said yes. Wow. While more Democrats replied to the inquiry than Republicans, 95 to 52, uh, that was the number of uh, Republicans, I guess. Um, Oh, 95 Democrats and 52 Republicans. Death threats were pervasive among both parties. 74% of Democrats said they had received one compared with 77% of GOP respondents. Are you surprised by these numbers? Does this give new meaning to write your congressman? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm somewhat surprised. I mean, I know there have been kind of angry letters and all that, but that, those numbers are astonishing. Now, this uh, is Go ahead. I was going to say, did, didn't Meyer from here in Michigan receive death threats because of his stances on on the impeachment and so forth? I, I thought I heard that somewhere in the middle of. Well, this um, this goes beyond the, um, you know, the the rhetoric in in the wake of votes about impeachment and and so on. This is, you know, just asking everybody in Congress, have you received a death threat? Yeah. And the percentages are, are pretty high. They sure seem like it, yeah. Uh, guys, the same question was asked to me when I was a member of the Electoral College. And we had all of these people. I think I had 40,000 pieces of mail. And in that mail, and I also had an email. I never saw once that anybody threatened me. They just came out and said, well, you should do this and that and so on and so forth. And that was it. I was never threatened. A lot of people said that they were, but I wasn't. And I'm not a person that's looking to be victimized by society. Let's make a note. Well, you know, I think, Henry, I think it's a sign of how nasty our politics has become in recent years. Yes. I mean, it's things that used to be just an angry letter, you know, denouncing your position now becomes a death threat, unfortunately. I, yeah. No, but, you're, yeah, yeah, go ahead, Mark. The, the uh, it's the oh exaggeration of the rhetoric. First of all, uh, this is uh, you know only a minority, a third of the people responded. So I would imply that most of the people who didn't respond hadn't had that kind of a problem. But secondly, what does this mean? A death threat? Uh, if somebody writes you deserve to die, that's terrible. <laughs> but but that's different from saying I'm going to kill you. Yes, uh, that's, that's a true. threat. And what is uh, what's the definition of a threat? Right now, people are extremely casual 
with their rhetoric. If there are real death threats, each and every one of those should be run to ground, period. Yes. There should be a criminal investigation, and that Mark, that, that should be handled. Mark, how, how would you... Um how would you define uh, or um, uh, articulate a a death threat? I'm I'm sure you had some when you were at the IRS. <laughs> uh, you know, that's I I would say, Tom, that's something that the that it is for the criminal investigators it's, uh, to make in the Secret Service and others. Uh, look, I, I I don't know if I've shared this on the air before, but I I have a brother. He's a paranoid schizophrenic. He's been hospitalized several times full sets of delusions when he's symptomatic. And he was writing letters to Karl Rove and others when I was in the administration. And uh, the Secret Service took a look at him. And, and, you know, while he was in terrible shape, they did not investigate. Uh, There's there's a continuum here about activities, including mental health and all sorts of other issues that that you follow here. And uh, and the, the tragedy is law enforcement, as we all know, Sometimes they look at things and then they let it go in error. They, they've made a legitimate judgment that, you know, Mark is not a threat. This is a tough area. And uh, we, we got to clean up the rhetoric and then we got to have law enforcement really look. If, if it, if it can't, these guys can't, and gals, representatives, they can't just brush it aside and say that's part of the, the dynamic now. If it seems to be a real threat, they've got to refer it into somebody. That's all I'm saying. I agree with you, Mark. I, I, <clears throat> I think when there's a real threat, we got to go after the guy. But if you're not threatened, there's something good to be said about the country yet. And yeah, particularly well, uh, in my role. Yeah, so right. some good points. There's a difference between drop dead and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot you tomorrow kind of stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Look, I had taxpayers turn up at my door when I was running the IRS. Uh, is that could you did that behavior make me uncomfortable? Yes, and it certainly made my wife very uncomfortable. But uh, but there's a difference between that and uh, and uh, making a threat, if you will. Yes. Did did you find the kinds of uh, threats and confrontations that you got uh, were more uh, about people trying to actively? Uh, change your mind or or were they hateful like what we see now well i think the environment is is undoubtedly worse now so i'm not sure total parallels but when people would reach me and i had a public number uh they were generally fairly desperate usually it was a woman in uh, a situation they would call innocent spouse where you know you're married and you're no longer married but your husband was handling the finances and uh, didn't pay the taxes, and you're on the hook because it was a joint return. And and what ha- what's happened is people, they feel that if they can just get the right individual to take a look at their situation, they'll get a different answer or a better answer. So a lot of times it's frustration. Very rarely does that tip over. It, it, it can tip into anger, but very rarely does it tip into a into a threat, and uh, you know, we had I had a security detail, criminal investigators who who took a look at all these things. Okay, we're going to take you know, a short break, and we'll be back with uh, more armchair politics on the Tom Sumner program with uh, Paul Rosicki, Henry Hatter, and Mark Everson right after this. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program.
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Say, objection. Hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just, um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in edible arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for edible arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by a frequent uh, visitor to the roundtable, Mark Everson. Welcome back, everybody. We uh, Let's see. Um, state state representative. Uh, I have a, Go I ahead, have a comment. Uh, Just a follow-up you know, to the you, last segment? Yeah, to the last question. You asked me, had I ever been... Uh, victimized by a death threat or something like that. Uh, I have. Uh, that was the time when I was first elected to the school board of education in Clio. Uh, my mailbox was shot up with a three fifty seven Magnum. Hmm. Uh, there was a dead coon in the mailbox. Oh, and, my gosh, uh, Henry. Jeez. Yeah. And, and so, but I did report it to uh, uh, the sheriff and had a conversation with the sheriff. And then there was another time I had received, when I was president of the, uh, uh, rather the chairman of the Republican Party, I received a note from the Ku Klux Klan, and, uh, mm. which, was, which was kind of interesting. And <laughs> it was so devastating to my wife. She says, get rid of that. Get rid of that quickly. And I didn't save the note because of that. I didn't realize that it could be, you know, history. But then... I never had an incident from that, but it was threatening to her. It was threatening to my family. Henry, how many years ago did these things happen? Uh, let's see. I was the president of the Republican Party in 1976. Well, you know what's interesting is that that strikes me that that new individual who just got appointed to the county commission from Grand Blank, an African American, mm-hmm. talked about having a cross burned in his yard when he moved to Grand Blank in the mid 1970s as well. Yeah. So it's, yeah. This is another point that Henry's raising, though. Uh, I do think that oftentimes the individual has made a calculus and said, look, I'm going to do this. There's a certain amount of risk to my reputation, perhaps to my safety, although that's unlikely. Uh, but that person has made that decision. It's toughest on the family members, just what Henry said, I True. think. And, uh, you know, look, when I ran the IRS, nobody likes you. <laughs> Just how it is. <laughs> and, 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 and that comes with know, the I job, did, Mark. I, there were, uh, I got uh, just three or four uh, lead editorials in the New York Times singling me out as a bad person, you know, practically. And uh, I said that was my reward for three or four decades of loyal readership. But anyway, uh, <laughs> they, they, the New York Times, if they knew the name of the usher at the White House, they would have singled him or her out. But uh, it didn't bother me as much as it bothered my family. And, that's the point, and, and the, the degree to which it's rare or real threats uh, increase, it causes pressure. People get out of public service, if not because of their own views, but because of their family's views. So it's, it's, it's bad. It's not good at all. But I'll say one thing finally about this, and it says a lot about the Clio people, because for the next four terms, I was the largest vote-getter on the Clio Board of Education. Well, they, that, that, they that, dumped the whole board and left me. That says a lot about you, Henry. It really does. <laughs> I, I yeah, Henry, Henry is probably the only person I know that would refer to getting hate mail from the KKK as interesting. <laughs> that was interesting, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, that was, uh, <clears throat> I can still see the handwritten note, uh, but I can't, I can't recover it. Maybe someday... Uh, 
we've tucked it away somewhere and not find it. But I did, the FBI investigated and the Sheriff's Department and all of those. Yeah. Well, and if it well, was, was that nice long ago, that, that may have been uh, prior to um, the ramping up of uh, penalties for hate crimes. Yes. Well, state Thank you for the testimony. State Representative John Cherry is uh, positioning himself to run for the new 27th District in the State Senate, a seat being vacated by Jim Ananek, who cannot seek re-election because of term limits. Cherry, a Democrat from Flint, found himself in the same State House of Representative uh, District as fellow Democrat Cynthia Neely, uh, also a Democrat from Flint after redistricting following the 2020 census. M Live, the Flint Journal, could not immediately reach Cherry for comment on his uh, plans uh, last Friday. He is listed as a candidate for Senate by the supporters of John Cherry, a committee formed January 3rd to back his new campaign. Um, and and I'll slide in a little... Uh, little self-plug here. I'm going to be talking with John Cherry uh, early tomorrow morning. I don't know if it'll air on tomorrow's show or if it'll air um, in in the days after that. But um, well, I'll, I'll I'll mention John Cherry was a student of mine not too many years ago, well, more than a few years ago by now. But uh, yeah, the way the way that that district worked, it, it worked out very well with term limits, so one person can move up, and Cynthia Neely can probably keep receipt well the, uh, just just to, just to give uh mark a little context um john cherry's dad had served in uh both chambers of the legislature and was uh jennifer granholm's um lieutenant governor for eight years I see. And so the the Cherry name is very well known in the area, and the person he'd be running against um, is uh, Cynthia Neely, and her husband is the mayor of Flint. And and John Cherry Sr.'s wife is also a state rep, or had been a state rep in the recent past, too, Pam Ferris. Yes. Anyway, is uh, is John Cherry's consideration of running for the state senate seat a no-brainer? Yeah, I think fact, so. when I saw those districts, I thought that was kind of what they had in mind when they drew those districts. Yeah. Is that it, it opened the door <laughs> for John Cherry to move up and give a safe seat to Cynthia Neely. Uh, that was one one reaction I had when I when I saw those. That was up. a wise thing for the Democrats to do. Probably, yeah, Henry. Yeah, yeah. that was a, to leave uh, leave that one senate. That one seat open for the black candidate in this thing. I don't like it, but because Republicans can't win. Well, what do you think? <laughs> um, you know, on the other side of the aisle, uh, Ken Horn from Frankenmuth, a Republican, um, he's term limited as well. What's going to happen with his state Senate seat? Uh, Ken Horn will go a long ways. That's, that. that's Republican territory pretty much because yeah. it comes, goes up in the Saginaw and western edge of Genesee County. Um, so I, I I don't know if there's any names that have popped up, Henry, <laughs> as likely candidates. But uh, that's not Republican yet. Territory. Yeah. But but then that's near Frankenmuth and Saginaw, and they have right. candidates that's just standing in line. <laughs> but nobody can reach the pinnacle of Ken Horn. He's a great guy. 
well liked. Uh, the aforementioned uh, state senator Jim Ananek, who uh, is who I mentioned is term limited out. Um, he's a Democrat from Flint, stirred up some of his supporters on Twitter this week after tweeting that he wanted to make Michigan the most pro-Bitcoin state in the country. <laughs> Bit- yeah. Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency that is essentially a computer file uh, stored in a digital wallet which operates independently from banks or government oversight, the 46-year-old Flint lawmaker said in an interview with M Live that he'd been reading about cryptocurrencies during the latest legislative break and knew he might get some pushback when he uh, made the post Wednesday. Ananik said he fears uh, digital currency will soon become something that only wealthy folks will have a way to benefit from. It's a scenario people skeptical about the potential scale of cryptocurrencies say is already playing out now. Dozens of Twitter users replying to Ananik's post criticized him for the suggestion that an anonymous and decentralized currency has any business being a priority item for lawmakers from either side of the aisle. Is this forward thinking, and is it only made possible in a lame duck environment for uh, Jim? <laughs> so, so let me let me say something right up front here. Uh, I don't fully understand cryptocurrency, but he's a little late to the show here because, as I understand it, cryptocurrencies have declined by fifty percent in recent weeks, and uh, they've lost over a trillion dollars of value. So, <laughs> I thought I've heard that too. Yeah. It's yeah. a bad time to be making this a uh, proposal, yeah. I would suggest. Well, and and that's what I and, and, and I don't understand it very well either, Mark. I, I'm um, I, I don't I don't trust it, and and as you point out, it's it's just recently taken a dip. Um, it could be in response to what the Chinese uh, are planning for the dollar. The Chinese plan to crush the American dollar and replace it by the yen. Well, it's because it's a speculative bubble. I mean, it shot up like crazy, and now it's going back down. And like I say, I, I don't quite understand it or, or trust it either. It's just, uh, it's like those non-fungible tokens that people are selling for the art world. <laughs> I don't quite get where the value of those is either. So, yeah, I, it's it. it <laughs> I I don't know. I, I think we yeah, have to get yeah, Andrew I, 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 I kind of shake my head and say, well, if you want to spend your money on that, fine, but so be it. They have their devotees. There's some country, I can't remember, I think it may be Costa Rica, but it's one of the Central American countries that the president is he's going to adopt uh, cryptocurrency as the, oh. you know, the, cur- the currency. Oh, yeah, this was around a few months ago or something. But anyway, Yeah, I, I, read, a, I read something like that too, Mark, um, <laughs> where... One of the South American countries was accepting Bitcoin for mm-hmm. tax payments. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. That's because they don't have any other kind of currency. <laughs> that could, that, you know, that could be, Henry. Um, and, and we could be headed that way our, ourselves. Maybe, maybe we're going to go back to bartering chickens and goats or something <laughs> as a currency. <laughs> yeah, I. I the national currency is going to become IOUs. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
A new committee formed by the County Board of Commissioners will investigate what an official said are complaints about the internal culture of the county clerk's office. Commissioners voted to form the committee, and Chairman Dominique Clemens, a Democrat from Flint Township, appointed himself, and Commissioners Sean Shoemaker, a Republican from Fenton Township, and Meredith Davis, a Republican from Flushing Township, to the group during the board's meeting on Wednesday. Uh, January 19th, Shoemaker suggested the investigation but did not elaborate on the complaints he said he's been contacted about. The commissioner said the claims may or may not be accurate and said other departments in county government could be examined in the future. Are other departments really likely to be examined by the board or is this something uh, that's, that's going to stay specific to the, the clerk's office? Hmm. I think there's been a lot of friction between the clerk's office and several other county departments that probably have. I was going to say when you said between the clerk's office, I was going to insert and everybody else. That's that's about it. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I should have said it that way. (laughs) Well, would I? I just got the impression (laughs) that that. uh, Well, yeah, we might look at some others too. Was actually kind of a uh, I don't know um, well, I I'm thinking it's it may have been kind of a cover to say well we're not just focusing on Gleason we'll, we'll look around and see if anybody else is doing this but clearly he's the number one target it appears to be <clears throat> well one thing that they did well is they appointed at least a Republican to it so that everybody can accept responsibility equally. Well, they set up this this uh, three-person committee with one Democrat and two Republicans, and it wasn't so very many years ago, and, and I'm sure you remember this uh, even better than most, Henry, when you couldn't have found two Republicans on the Genesee County Board of That's right. <laughs> no. Nope. In fact, are those the only two who are on the board now? I think isn't, uh, there are two or three on the board right now. I don't know. For years, there was just... I think just, it's two, yeah, I believe. Two, two. Yeah. For for years, there was just one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's see. Uh, when it, I'm, I'm referring to Paul's list. He always sends me over some bullet points uh, the day before we do armchair politics. And the one that... that uh, or one, now we had different lists this time, Paul, uh, more so than usual. Um, but one that you had that I should have had and, and don't um, in, in my notes was um, more discussion about how Flint's going to spend its $94 million in relief funds. Yeah, I think there's still somewhat, somewhat deadlocked or treading water on that issue, too. I mean, they've, they've had so many meetings, but well, at least one recent meeting, half the council walked out and they had to adjourn um, out of, you know, people calling each other names and so forth. Uh, so I'm not sure if they quite resolved that yet or not. Well, is is this the same money that um, that that the mayor recommended a, uh, a firm to come in and, and oversee the uh, spending of the money? That's my understanding. I think so. Yeah, that I think it is. And Ninety-five million. 
didn't they already give them the contract for about half of what was originally suggested? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a year contract instead of three years. And we discussed that last uh, last week. Yeah. Yes. Well, I I just I just wonder why. How can it still be so contentious if they've already hired a firm to make recommendations on how to spend it? Well, now, is, is the firm making recommendations, or is the firm just making sure they follow federal guidelines when they actually do pass the money out? Well, that's that's a that's uh, an important question, Paul, and I, I think you might be on to it. They're, they're not actually suggesting how the money be spent. They're just, uh, it's more of a... a you know, follow the rules kind of stuff. Yeah, it's more of a compliance function. Yeah, and many times when they put together these programs like that, <clears throat> they take on a life of their own. It depends on who is standing last in this discussion. If the, uh, if the company that's uh, been appointed has been addressed to take lead, if it has a strong position and and do everything right, it will go its way. But uh, if there are other critics in there who are stronger, then it'll take on a new life of its own. Well, one of the problems with this is that um, this is one-time money to a cash-strapped city. Yes, and exactly. If they try to do everything they want to do with this money, they're going to run out of money very, very quickly, and it won't last. You know, the the programs they support won't last over a year or two. And if if they don't focus on where the money will have the longest effect, and and I suggested roads and bridges as an example of someplace you could put money. And it'll still be there in ten years. But yeah, if you if you start some temporary neighborhood program, you're going to have some angry people if you have to tell them in, in a year or two, "Sorry, we've got to shut you down because we haven't got the money anymore." Yeah, that's true. It's probably yeah, already been spent. I agree with that. We have the same issue down here in Mississippi. You have a great number of needs, and then when you get into a municipality. Every ward or district wants their piece, whereas this is a time when people should step back and say, what are the real priorities? What what can we actually solve with this funding or make a measurable difference that will start to bring a city along That's uh, that's or a county along? It's, it's the same issue all over the country. And um, because, you know, I think this is an experiment with the inflation that all the spending has, has uh, prompted I think it'll be a while before we see huge um, unrestricted grants, which is what, really what this is. It's there. There's some okay. There's some uh, there, there's some spending, but but not they're not not really too 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 severe. I would say you won't see a lot of this happening in the next. It'll be a while before this happens again. I would say. Well, I, I know from my experience working in nonprofit organizations that uh, in, in one organization we had a 21-member a, a board. And every time we would receive a gift or a grant, there would be 20 diff, 21 different ideas on how to spend it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yep. Yep. And I, right. and, and I think these uh, municipalities, whether it's in Mississippi or, uh, or Michigan or Wisconsin or wherever, um, I, I think they need to look at this money and say, you know, what are the long-term fixes, you know, where, where we can, you know, get the, the longest impact True. of a one-time expenditure? And, and prioritize those things so that when the money runs out, projects will stay in place and, and the good will still be felt. But, you know, I'm not on one of those boards, so... <laughs> yeah, pol politically, that's, everybody wants to take something back to their, home, to their own ward. And politically, it's a hard sell, but you're exactly right. It's, this money's not going to be there forever. Uh, this is sort of related, moving uh, over to Lansing. Governor Gretchen Whitmer will call for the rollback of Michigan's tax on pensions in her State of the State address tonight, according to the Free Press. Whitmer's administration is flush with cash because of federal stimulus funds and higher-than-expected state revenue during an election year. She will tell an estimated 500,000 affected Michigan seniors that repeal of the law is expected to save them about $1,000 a year each on average and further stimulate the economy, according to a background document and a source familiar with the planned speech. The move would be phased in over the next three years, but would fulfill a promise from Whitmer's 2018 Democratic gubernatorial campaign. It would likely be embraced by Republican lawmakers who introduced the tax on pensions as part of a broader uh, tax reform package in 2012 under former governor, uh, GOP governor Rick Snyder. Is this... Um, an attempt at permanent relief brought on by a temporary influx of cash, and is this doing exactly the opposite of what we were talking about a moment ago? I, I mean, I'm inclined to think it probably may well be. As I say, this even on the state level, this is temporary money. It's not going to be there forever. And uh, it's nice to roll back the taxes. Everybody feels good about that. And it's a good political thing during an election year. But you're going to pay the piper. Yeah, years down the road. Yes, Republicans have found that out. Well, I think that's true. I mean, you can go back to the first Bush tax cuts, which were premised on remember uh, the budget surpluses you were running at the end of the '90s, and uh, you had budget surpluses. People would say as far as the eye could see, and so, and if you believe that, it's totally reasonable to. Uh, to reduce the taxes and um, and hold the spending even so, or maybe even increase it, but the truth is a lot of that was an increase in capital gains taxes and other things that were not necessarily sustainable. So yeah, I do think that this is this is a time and this is what you're talking about. Tom is happening all over the country. They're talking about uh, eliminating the income tax down here to be competitive with other states for investment, and part of it is based on. Uh, much flusher uh, fiscal situation. So, yeah, it needs. To, I think you need to try to discern whether you have a temporary condition, or actually there's been a long-term shift, and then you then you respond accordingly. 
All right, on that note, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back with more Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Mark Evers. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner Program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wanky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not, is a major factor in dancing like a retard, may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them, also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people, and it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. 
alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now with our roundtable regulars uh, on the Tom Sumner Program. Uh, Paul Rosicki on the left, Henry Hatter on the right, and they're joined this week by a, uh, a frequent guest. Um, Mark Everson is joining the roundtable. A group of Michigan Republicans filed a lawsuit Thursday in federal court challenging the new congressional map adopted by Michigan's redistricting commission late last year. The lawsuit filed in the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Michigan alleges that there is no legal justification for the population differences between the congressional districts drawn by the commission and that the new lines unnecessarily split up counties and municipalities. The challenge requests a three-judge panel to order the commission to redraw the map by a deadline established by the court. If the commission fails to act within the ordered timeline, the lawsuit asks the court to appoint a special master to draw the congressional districts. The Republicans challenging the congressional map include State Representative Bo Lefebvre, a Republican from Iron Mountain, former State Representative uh, Joe Graves, a Republican in Linden, former Michigan House Republican uh, candidate Harry Sawicki, and Cameron Pickford, Michael Benarian of the Michigan Freedom Fund. How likely is it that we will see, quote, court-appointed special masters, unquote, determining district lines in Michigan before the next election? You know, the question I have is timing. I mean, even if this, some of that stuff makes makes sense, and I'm not sure it does, we're getting down to the point where candidates and voters are scrambling to find out which district they're in, where they got to get signatures, and when they got to file and all that. So, I mean, the, the you know, this this election, we've got the, uh, I think the filing deadline is mid mid or late April for for nearly all offices. Got a primary in August. And uh, I, I just not so sure they can pull that off, even if it's desirable. Like, I'm not even sure it is desirable <clears throat> in time to, to meet any kind of functional, functional deadline for this year's election. Did you see uh, the report developed by a combination of public policy members from Michigan and Michigan State? They did an excellent job in drawing out what they thought would be a most uh, uh, unorthodox uh, drawing of the district so that they are equal uh, as, far as, as far as possible. And uh, and uh, left nobody out. And I think uh, it's on the website. You can go to YouTube and you can see that report <laughs> and all that they did to make sure they had a people of they had. Uh, and I hate to mention this, but they had a black, a Chinese, and a Asian, and uh, the, the the white 
these were the three primary spokesmen for the for that policy issue. Did anybody see that? No, I haven't, but it's no, interesting. Were, were, but, were, were, were they redrawing the map? Is that what's happening? Yeah, Henry? they did it already. It's on YouTube. They submitted hmm. Michigan uh, and Michigan State. See, I I think this this idea of drawing district maps is uh, is one area where I would applaud the use of uh, AI, hmm. artificial intelligence. Yeah. I think that's been done in Iowa, although it was much simpler because I think Iowa only had four congressional districts at the time, and it did work out well with the shape of the state. But, yeah, I think that's been used occasionally for a few states. But I I was thinking, uh, um, I was being the devil's advocate. Now, who would dislike this, for example, for what reason? They went through and they outlined all the possible reasons that people could be upset with it and explained how all of those issues were ironed out in the process. I I thought they did an excellent job. It's a a good read for, it's a good watch for any of you who are interested Mm -hmm. in it. And I, I would tend to follow that one. And, and we have a two largest universities, most prestigious university involved in the process as a, as an, as a um, uh, discipline uh, distant uh, party uh, to make these kind of decisions. I, I, Mark? It was very well done. Mark, how is redistricting going or being done in Mississippi? I don't think there's as much controversy down here. There are four districts, smaller state, of course. And, um, you know, there's, look, this is a thoroughly Republican state. So uh, the Democrats choose their battles. Um, they're going to work on issues. Their, their avenues, um, if they think they've got a shot at it, are through the Biden Justice Department. That's uh, historically, when you look at the South and issues like this, you you only see things happening really if there's a a, a Democrat Democratic uh, uh, administration and a Justice Department is working on these. And I I haven't heard it come up, Tom, just because I think the issue they're talking about down here right now is we don't have the Medicaid and the and a very poor state with a lot of problems with the virus, we still have the highest death rate of any state, and uh, there is a fair amount of attention going on right now in the legislative session uh, to the idea that we ought to get on the bandwagon and have have the Medicaid, which we're one of the states that does not. So if you're in the minority, and really in the minority, I mean, you guys have a, have a split state there, uh, but if you've got a very dominant party, the minority picks their moments or picks their issues to work way in on, and redistricting is down here, I don't think, is one of them. Interesting. Um, I, I mentioned uh, parenthetically that um, Gretchen Whitmer will be giving her State of the State message uh, this evening at 7 o'clock. Um, Paul had that on his list. I I haven't seen a lot of speculation about what she's likely to say in that State of the State message tonight. Paul, do you have any thoughts on... Uh... Yeah, I, I think one of the big things is going to be that, that uh, announcement they had yesterday about the new, was a $7 billion GM investment in a variety of new plants and 4,000 yeah. new jobs. That'll be, I think, a headliner. Uh, and I also saw that it's going to be a virtual state of the state address, yes. so no audience there. 
And apparently, from what I saw in one preview, there's going to be a number of video uh, clips of individuals around the state who were doing good work and good things. And, you know, she'll probably touch base with every area of the state and every, you know, law enforcement, small business, medical profession, a few other areas, too. So at least that, from what I've heard, that's probably the main thing. But I, I think that that deal with General Motors uh, to open all those new electric vehicle plants it's probably going to be the headliner, more than likely. Well, that's, and, that's an interesting thing to bring up, Paul, because um, the speculation is is that that, that investment is uh, um, in response to people saying, you know, if we've got these big chip shortages and, uh, right. you know, we uh, there are lots all over the, the lower half of the lower peninsula in michigan that are just packed full of cars and trucks waiting for chips to so that they can uh, be shipped out to dealers but um, right i just talked to somebody from i think arizona who said that there were plants being built for the purpose of making these chips and these were big, huge factories that wouldn't be I've, operational until 24 or 5. I, I, I've heard the same thing. That they were, I, I didn't know where, it, where they were, but I've heard that there were, there were plans in the pipeline to build chip factories here. Because I, I saw a story just this morning saying that the, uh, the chip shortage is much worse than they thought, and the delays that they were talking about are going to be longer than they thought as well. So those cars may be sitting around for quite a while. I thought yeah, I the element... Go ahead, Mark. I read something that said usually there's a 40-day inventory of, uh, <clears throat> of these things, but it's down to five days, so there's a very real prospect of further uh, further disruption. It, it's going to get quite bumpy. And and don't think that, I mean, if you have uh, problems with China and Taiwan, you could see a lot of, of, of national security issues uh, <clears throat> and disruption, and uh, this could get worse before it gets better. I thought the problem they had with the chips is the element itself is rare in the United States, and it's hard to get because other countries control the elements, and most of those elements are controlled by either Russia or China. Right. That's a, I think that's it's a iridium. I think it's iridium. I, I don't remember for sure. As an example, I mean, this year I'm sort of thinking about looking for a new car, and I went to one dealer a couple of months ago, a month or two ago, and they said, well, no, we don't have anything on the lot. Well, there's one coming in soon. And then she looked at her book and said, oh, no, that's already been sold. Uh, somebody <laughs> already bought it before they even saw it. So that's that's the situation for a lot of lots around here, apparently. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get really tough. Um, we've been shopping a little bit for used cars. And used cars, the prices oh, yeah. have doubled and tripled. Exactly. Yes. My, my, here's just a little story. My son, you know, he lives large in Chicago, and he's he's uh, <laughs> got he got a two years ago. He bought, I think it's an Audi, a little. It was a used car. He spent twenty seven thousand dollars at the time to buy it, a you know two door car, and um, doesn't put a lot of mileage on it because he lives in the city. Well, the dealer called him back, and he went in, and he just sold it this week. He he had the car for two years. He paid twenty seven, and he sold it back to the dealer and got a different car, he got 36000 on the trade. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Incredible. Wow. wow. 
Uh, by the way, I heard the GM uh, vice president, uh, the president say that um, the the used car market was two to one over the new car market. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Hey, yeah. we've got to take a uh, a quick break here uh, for the top of the hour show ID, and then we will return with the second half of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. Tom Sumner. 